If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you if you would turn in it to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And if you want to use one of the Bibles in front of you, if you want to turn to page 357, technically, well, we, we might look at page 356 just because like one verse or two verses are there, but it opens up on itself so you'll see the whole thing. You know, today, after a week hiatus, thanks to the lovely weather last weekend, uh, we're going to try to continue our series on what, for me, is a tough topic to talk about, and that is money. And I did kind of want to just remind you that the big goal behind this series isn't to try to get money out of your pockets and into my pockets, so to speak. It really is to kind of help us be equipped to be equipped to both think and act more biblically when it comes to the issue of money so that we really do align ourselves with what God wants for us there. Now, part of what that means, if we're going to act and think more biblically around all of that stuff, it means we need to face the fact that things like greed, things like materialism, things like coveting are very much bad and dangerous for our souls. Now, I'm not just saying that. I really believe that on the authority of Jesus, on the authority of God's word, those things matter. And the reason I say that is because of words Jesus himself spoke. Now, I didn't ask you to turn to Luke 12. We're going to look at one verse. It'll be on the screen. But in Luke 12, Jesus brings up the subject, and he brings it up because one brother came to Jesus in a crowd, shouted out in a crowd, and commanded Jesus and said, tell my brother he's got to give me my share of the family estate. Now, as one who's involved in a family estate issue right now, I have not told my brother that. He has all authority. He's bigger than I am. So no, you don't do that. But this guy is saying, Jesus, tell him he's got to give me my estate. Now Luke doesn't give us really any more detail than that. But from Jesus' response in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, we kind of get the issue that really the issue in that guy's life wasn't just that he didn't have his share of the family estate yet. That there was something much bigger and much more significant in his life. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says this. And he, referring to Jesus, said to them, Take care and be on guard, notice this, against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus was declaring to the crowd that was there, and very much to the one brother who said, I've got to have this. Jesus was declaring to them, thinking that I must have more is not what life is truly about. Now, here's the thing. I think that line of thinking, Jesus' line of thinking that life is not about what I have, that's probably going to bother us a little bit. That's going to rub against us. See, I'm going to make an assumption, and I think it's on very good authority. Every person I'm looking at has a natural bent toward greed. Now, I've insulted you. Why did I say that? Have you ever hung around a couple of two-year-olds playing with toys? Greed seems pretty natural. You see, if you have it, I want it. And if I have it, you can't have it. That seems to be kind of how we function when it comes to greed. It's pretty natural for us. Part of what this series has been doing, and I have the advantage because I know what's coming and I've been preparing and all of that, but Part of the advantage is also a disadvantage because I feel like God has been kind of challenging me and saying, Lloyd, you need to think about this. You need to think about where greed might be showing up in your life here and here. And really my prayer for you in some ways as we go through this series is that it will help you see where greed is in your life. 
Now, let me be fair. I don't want this series just to be about me pointing a finger and you going, well, he made me feel like I'm greedy. We do need to face our greed, but the whole point of this series is way more than that. See, the idea of this series is for us to see, yes, I do have greed in my life, but to get away from greed and go towards generosity. That instead of my life being about greed, my life is about generosity. So really what we want to try to do this morning is to ask the question, how can I become generous? How can you and I become generous? Well, maybe a good way to do that is to look at a story from the Bible, a narrative account in the Bible that seems to put on a display of generosity. Maybe that would help us understand how we can be generous, which is why I asked you to turn to 1 Chronicles 29, because that's kind of what the story there is about. Now, at this stage of the Bible story, the stage in David's life, David knows he's facing death. He's coming to the end of his life. Now, David had wanted to build a temple. He wanted to build a temple to God, and God said no to David building, but God was okay with David preparing, kind of putting the preparations together, kind of getting the provisions for the offering. So 1 Chronicles 29 verses 1 to 5 really unpack what David did in terms of providing. And I want you just to look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Zoom in on those. David is saying this, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. Now, let me be clear, in verse 2, which we didn't read, David had referred to the royal treasury, that the government, so to speak, was going to put some money into the temple. But in verses 3 and 4, David isn't talking about government money. He's talking about his own money. The word translated treasure there in verse 3 really would be a reference to David's long-term reserves. To put it in terms for you and me, David was looking at his retirement funds and said, I'm going to give from there. I'm going to give from my personal security. And quite honestly, folks, he gave a lot. If you were to take the talents, which is not a unit of measure you and I are used to, and convert it into our maybe things you and I could get our heads around, David donated 110 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver, and I didn't compute this. I looked at some other people who computed it, and they said that roughly equates out to about $5 billion. Not a bad donation, thinking that looked pretty good on his tax return or something. You know, David gave in a big way. He was all in. That led him to then do something, verse 5. And all the work done by the craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Then he noticed this. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? After giving in a big way, David kind of felt this urge, this compulsion to ask other people, would you be willing to give? Now, the idea of consecrate in verse 5 is really calling people to devote themselves to God in their giving, that their giving really was about God. 
was about their commitment and setting themselves apart to God. Now, the other leaders heard that in verses 6 to 8. They also literally gave in tons. And then verse 9 makes an interesting statement. Then the people rejoiced because with the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also greatly rejoiced. Verse 9 is telling us that everyday people in Israel gave. And they gave from a place of willingness. They gave from a place of whole hearts. And as David kind of stood back, so to speak, and saw this offering, and I, I have no idea like how big a pile of 110 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver and then added on to that a whole lot more. I have no idea how big that would be. I should have probably Googled that and tried to figure it out, but I'm thinking that probably filled a lot of spots. Like as he stood back and looked at that, he was like, wow. I mean, he couldn't help but rejoice. I mean, he had been making preparations, hoping the temple could be built because he knew like for his son Solomon to build the temple was going to be a huge task. It was going to be a big job. And now David is looking and he's realizing, look at how the people have stepped up and this is going to happen. This is really going to take place. Now let me hit the pause button here for a second. Let me highlight a couple of observations that I think this account raises in terms of how you and I should think about generosity. First, this is going to sound really obvious. Generosity involves giving. Okay, it, it involves giving. And maybe another way to say that is, if you and I are not giving of our time and our talents and our treasure, we're not going to be generous. Okay, giving in, or generosity involves giving. Second observation, though, kind of building off of that is this. There is something more to generosity than giving. Look at verse 5 and verse 9 again. Verse 5, And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for things of gold and silver for things of silver. Notice this. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Verse 9, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord. David the king also greatly or rejoiced greatly. Now we need to understand this. Giving alone doesn't make us generous. Verses 5 to 9 connect generosity with a willingness and a whole heart. See, giving might be an expression of generosity, but verses 5 to 9 make it very clear that there needs to be something that sparks inside of us so that our giving is an expression of generosity. See, here's the thing, folks. It's very possible that you and I could give some of our time or some of our talents or some of our treasure, and that actually not move us any way away from greed. I have heard stories of very affluent people who gave big gifts. You'd say, well, that's really generous. Well, then I heard more of the story, and the only reason they did it is because it was a tax advantage. 
It was about them keeping more of their stuff in a sense because they'd save on taxes. It really wasn't about something inside them saying, this is for God. It was about other things. See, there is something that needs to happen inside of us if we're going to go from greed to generosity. Which means you and I need to know what is it that's going to create willingness? What's going to create whole hearts inside of us? Now, thankfully for us, after the offering was made, David prays. And in David's prayer, I think he points us to two building blocks, two building blocks that lead to us, help create in us a willingness, help create in us whole hearts. So what are those building blocks? Building block number one would be the greatness of God, or, or maybe <clears throat> to say it another way, for us to see the greatness of God. David was jazzed about the offering. But when he prays, he doesn't start in his prayer by thanking God for the offering. He doesn't even really refer to the gift right away. What he does, rather maybe in a reflective tone, is he challenges himself and he really starts praying by looking at the amazingness of God. That's where he starts. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. David prays, therefore, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, notice this, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are to be exalted as head above all. You know what, as wonderful as the offering was, and David was thrilled about it, David knew there was something more wonderful, something you could say greater than the offering. See, David leads the people in prayer to very much consider God's amazingness. See, God has this greatness, and really by greatness there, you could say God is bigger than anything else. And then he talks about God's power. So God is great, bigger than anything else, and he has this amazing power. Not only does he have that, but his greatness and his power means, you know what, he is filled with beauty and splendor. That's really the idea there of glory. And because God has greatness, power, and glory, that means God always wins. And not only does God always win, he's always filled with majesty. And the reason that is possible is because God literally owns everything and he is the king of everything. See, David wants us to know that generosity, that having a willingness inside us and having a whole heart starts when you and I realize how amazing God is. When we see the beauty, glory, and greatness of God, that is what does something in our souls. Now, maybe that raises a question. How is it that if you and I behold the greatness of God, how could that do something in our souls when it comes to greed or generosity? How could that make a difference? Well, I want you to consider with me 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. It says this, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, and by that I mean you've repented of your sins and you trust the Lord Jesus alone as your Savior, okay, if that describes you, then you have received grace from Jesus. If that doesn't describe you, I want you to understand this morning, he wants you to receive his grace. Okay, he wants you. Jesus wants to give his grace to every single one of us. See, followers of Christ are sinners saved by grace alone in Christ alone. So if you're a follower of Jesus, again, let me just underline it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the grace of Jesus. That also means that we should know You know what, we received that grace and became rich because Jesus went from his place of being rich, went from his place, you could say, of being amazing and humbled himself and became poor so that we might become rich. Do you see what he did? We were poor, he was rich, he came down to us and made us rich. Now just to be very clear, What Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, is really just restating the gospel. Restating what Jesus did for us. And I think what David's pointing to in his prayer, what Paul's pointing to in this statement, is the truth of the amazingness of God is displayed in God's goodness toward us. And if you and I just would pause for a second and realize the amazingness of God displayed in goodness towards us. And we'd realize the level and the depth to which Jesus went to so that you and I could receive this. You and I could be given God's grace. You and I could be made rich. All the things we don't deserve, but God did that to us. If we'd realize that, we'd realize that stirs inside. That sparks things in our lives when we realize, look at what God has done for us. Jesus did amazing things for us. And that really should trigger something inside of us. We should be stirred to say, I don't want a thing to do with greed anymore because that is wrong. I went from being poor to being rich because of what God has given me. When we consider the amazingness of God, it triggers in us something that moves us toward generosity. Building block number two. What else should spur us and spark us to be generous is God the owner shares with us. Not only is God great and amazing, and he is, but he shares with us. David is going to get more explicit as to why the people were generous. Verses 12 and 13 of the prayer. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. You know, as David ponders the whole situation, he's realizing that the resources that he had, that the strength and ability that he had to acquire those resources, all of that is from God. 
Folks, it is a fallacy to think that anyone is self-made. Whether they acknowledge God or not, there's no one that's self-made because God is behind, is the one behind all that we have. And like David, that truth really, I think, should lead us to thank God. Verse 13 should be true in our lives when we realize, look at what we have. God has given us that. Wow, I should be grateful. Verses 14 and 15, David continues praying, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all these things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. You know, the more David thinks about the offering and about the people who gave, the less he's impressed with the gift, the less he is impressed with the people and the more he is amazed and in awe of God. See, David is not enamored with how much he gave or as himself as a giver. David's ability to give, your ability to give, my ability to give flows from God who gives to us. See, part of the message of verse 14 is that God, the owner, takes his resources, and entrust them into our hands. We give because he's given to us, because he's provided for us. Now, those verses really are pointing to a key truth I think we need to know. We are stewards. We're not owners, we're stewards. And every single one of us is going to give an account to God for what God has entrusted to us. Which means if we're going to move towards generosity, which means really if we're going to move to having a willingness and, and whole hearts, we need to be serious stewards. We need to be serious about being stewards who honor our owner. And in David's mind, that should be something we want to do. We should want to honor God when we realize what God has given to us. Again, folks, our ability, our generosity, what God sparks in us, He sparks in us because of His work in our lives. Our generosity is really because of His generous provision to us. Look at verse 16. David continues, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, notice this, comes from your hand and it's all your own. David recognizes that the generous offering really simply was a response to God's abundant provision. Folks, if we're going to grow in willingness, if we're going to grow in having whole hearts, we need to recognize how amazing God is, how amazing His goodness is to us, how much God shares with us. And then when we realize then we should respond to God's goodness to us. We should want to say, thank you. You know, the funny thing is, greed is about us wanting more. I've got to have more, and that's really where greed comes from. But generosity, generosity is about recognizing God's goodness to us and then simply responding to his goodness and saying, thank you. Thank you, God. 
I want to shift gears for a second and talk about generosity for a few minutes in a little different direction. Those are the things I think in this prayer that kind of say, hey, this is what sparks willingness to the whole heart. I seeing God's greatness, us realizing God the owner shares with us. But I want us to think about generosity in a slightly different direction. Maybe from a, may sound a little skeptical for a second. I mean, God could have, God could have simply dropped all the supplies needed for the temple from heaven. I mean, he could have. David and the people wouldn't have had to have given. And if you were to play that out and put it into, you know, January 22nd, 2024, God could put money in Central's bank account tomorrow and, you know, so we wouldn't have to give. Like, he could just do that. He could. But he doesn't. Why? Why does God call us to be generous with his stuff? I mean, wouldn't it be better to cut out the middleman? I mean, some of you operate in business and you're like, hey, we can improve our process. Let's get rid of the middleman. I mean, couldn't we just get rid of us and, hey, it would just take place. It would all be good. Why does God include us? Let me suggest to you as his prayer continues, he's going to give us two reasons why it includes us. Reason number one, it includes us, is to test us. God tests us. See, God knows about materialism. God knows about greed. And he knows about our hearts. So in verse 17, David prayed this. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. David's prayer kind of highlights that God wants, God desires his people to be loyal to him and to operate with integrity and honesty in every area of life. Now, how would we know if we're being loyal to God? How would you and I know if we're really operating with integrity in all of our life? Well, to help us know that, to test that, God puts resources into our hands to say, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to handle this? See, by calling us to generosity, God allows us to see how are we doing with what God's given us. Folks, money time and skills are all gifts that God gives us. All of those things. Our generosity is about all of those things, which raises the question, what are you doing with your money, your skills, and your time? Now, I realize in this room that there are people with different amounts of money. It doesn't really matter how much you have. The question is, what are you doing with what you have that God's put in your hands? What are you doing with it? Now, on one hand, it is true that all of us have the exact same number of hours, 168 hours every week. But some of us, for different reasons, may feel like we have less time and there's different factors. But here's the thing. What are you doing with the time you have? If you're going to be a good steward, that's an issue. God's testing us there. And you know what? We all have different skills. Some of you are, so to speak, five threat players. You have five stars. You're off the charts being recruited by all the schools. And some of us are hoping they need a water boy, you know. 
We don't have as many skills. Some of you are younger and you're still trying to figure out your skills or maybe develop your skills. Some of us are are kind of at that mid-layer of life and we kind of maybe have a little better sense of our skills and we know what they are. And some of us are a little older and, and physically our bodies aren't doing what we want them to do anymore and so we can't do some of the things we used to do. And we can bemoan whatever stage of life we're at. But here's the thing. Whatever stage of life you're at, what are you doing with the skills God's given you? What are you doing with those things? See, a key question each of us needs to ask, why does God want us to be generous? Because he's testing us. Which means you and I need to ask, are we being a generous steward with our time, with our skills, with our resources? Because see, God's given us those things. What are we doing with them? That's reason number one why God's calling us to be generous. Reason number two, why is God calling us to be generous? I think to be a part of God's mission. God's calling us to be generous, to be a part of the work he is doing. I want you to think about this. David never saw the temple. He died before it was built. He never got to see it. His giving was not for his benefit. It was for God's mission toward the next generation. Look at his prayer in verses 18 and 19. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. David prayed very specific requests in verses 18 and 19 because he knew that our generosity in this moment furthers God's mission beyond this moment. When we are generous, we propel God's mission into tomorrow. Last Wednesday was Central's 150th birthday as a church. You and I sit here and I stand here really on the generosity of people over the last 150 years propelling God's mission through Central forward. And as people at Central have been generous over the last 150 years, the generosity they kept in their hearts, they were directed as they were directed towards God as they said, my whole heart is towards God. That meant people here in Siouxland and people around the world through our missionaries received and heard the gospel. They got to play a part in touching the next generation. And as you and I continue to be generous, it propels the gospel forward toward the next generation. You know, as I was preparing and working on this, I found myself in light of that trying to ask feeling like I had to ask the question, Lloyd, what would you want? What would, want? what would you want to have sort of get willingness and a whole heart built into your life so that you can be generous? What would spark that, that you would want to be generous, that you'd want to be willing and wholehearted? As I thought about that question, quite honestly, folks, 
I thought very quickly about eight very special people about to be nine. I thought about our grandkids. I thought about the students that our daughter, who's upstairs there, students she teaches at West Middle. I thought about the, the students I see coming down the hill from North High and North Middle at the end of the, the school day when they come along and they walk along the sidewalk or they sometimes cut through the parking lot. And I thought about the kids that are in children's church right now. And then I thought about the kids that come here on Wednesday nights for Awana and student ministries. All of those kids, all of them, need Jesus. And I realized if I'm growing in generosity, if I'm growing in generosity with my time and with my skills and, and money, then I can play a part. I can play a part in God's mission touching their lives. I can help be a part of bringing the hope of the gospel. Folks, my prayer today is that we would grow in generosity so that the next generation fills this building to bless God and take his gospel to more generations. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good to us beyond measure. And because of your generosity towards us, we can be a part of what you're doing in this world. We can be a part of your mission. We can be a part of being generous. Father, I pray today you would help us to see your greatness. You would help us to realize that you have shared with us so much. Would that move in us? Would just realizing that spark within us? Would just the willingness that we would be good stewards of our time and our talent and our treasure. Lord, thank you for your word. Would it do a work in our lives through your spirit so that we would be people who go from greed to generosity. That we would live lives of integrity and loyalty to you so that the gospel goes forward. In the very precious name of the Savior we pray.